0: We are having robust conversations with clients around legacy planning, protection planning.
1: 50% of my advisors have adopted
2: financial planning religiously. The average penetration of investment accounts in households of banks is about 4%, which is really awful. It's god-awful.
0: This interest rate environment is very difficult on traditional savers.
2: Our biggest competition is not the bank or the credit union next door, it's the other channels. Digital leveraging data with
0: strong community-based financial advisors, we can execute around letting them know you can do that business right here. You do not have to go to a competitor.
3: Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today industry trend watch is a monthly series of with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel productivity trending is provided by our BankChannelResearch.com portal an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions in addition to industry trends you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. We will then turn it over to Jana Cappelletti, the creator of BankChannelResearch.com, who will kick us off with a trending overview.
4: This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you.
5: This is Janet Capiletti, the Managing Director of Research for Status Partners, and the creator of bankchannelresearch.com, here to give you some highlights of July 2021, which turned out to be a great month and came close to breaking some all-time records. Deposit revenue penetration was just under $2,500 per million in retail deposits, the highest level since October of 2018. Even when we factor in the recent surge in retail deposits, which is our denominator, Revenue penetration was 12% above last July. Monthly total FC revenue and household revenue penetration came in just below record-breaking April 2021. Recurring revenue per FC hit its highest point since July of 2016, which was the highest on record. Slumps in both fixed and variable annuity sales drove transactional revenue down 15% both on a monthly and year-to-year basis. But July collection of quarterly advisory fees saved our bacon by skyrocketing 24% over last July. Recurring revenue accounted for 70% of total program revenue in July, squeezing out the transactional products, including life insurance, which slid to a record low of less than 1%. But we can't blame recurring revenue for dwarfing life insurance because we also bottomed out a new low in life insurance revenue penetration. While fixed annuities are down, total revenue per platform rep reached $2,800, just behind our record-breaking March and April of this year. I'd like to thank LPL and Infinex for providing much of the data used in this analysis. And now I'd like to turn it over to Scott and Bob.
2: Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch. I am Scott Stathis. I'll be your host today, along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself shortly. Today, we're speaking with two industry veterans, one from a bank and one from a third-party broker-dealer. They will introduce themselves in a moment, but first, let me pass it to Bob. Bob? Bob?
6: Thanks so much, Scott. And again, let me add my welcome to all of our listeners for this podcast, the BISA Industry Trend Watch, August edition, where we will review the July trends. And wow, what a month. I am Bob Mitzel, and I am the co-host of this podcast. Today, as always, we have a great panel that we thank and appreciate for joining us today. We'd also like to thank the BISA for their partnership in this podcast. Don't forget that the BISA is holding a conference this November in Washington, D.C., Check it out on BISANet.org for more information. Now let's meet our panel. So let's start with you, Sam.
1: Hello, my name is Sam Nasser. I am a regional director with Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. As you know, Ameriprise is a Fortune 250 company, over trillion trillion in assets, over 10,000 advisors, revenue over $11 And the financial institutions group specifically is about 58 institutions, $40 million in revenue, about $8 billion in assets under management, 160 advisors, and 20 platform advisors. Pleasure to be with you folks.
6: Thanks so much. And that gives us a great idea of the span of control that you have. Awesome.
0: Tim. Thank you, Bob. And hello, Scott, as well. Tim Cease with South State Investment Services and South State Retirement Plan Services. We serve as managing director and executive vice president of the group. We are a fairly large institution based in Winter Haven, Florida. We have 39 financial advisors. Our client assets under administration right now is just under $4 billion for our part of the wealth management side. And we um, have right at about annualized revenues of about $18
6: million. And we're happy to be here today with you all. And we appreciate both you and Sam. So without any further ado, let's get right into our first question with Scott.
2: All right. Thanks, Bob. And great to have you guys on the podcast with us this month. So as Bob implied, July was a big month. We've been on a tear in our industry. If you look at our channel's performance month over month, quarter over quarter, we haven't looked back since the pandemic hit. I mean, we took a hit that first quarter during the pandemic and then we've just been ripping since. So, July was another really big month. So, program revenue was up significantly in our channel, mostly driven clearly by FC revenue. FC revenue has looked really impressive. The increase in AUM fees has been impressive, and yes, July, you know, is a month where we collect those quarterly AUM fees, but even as we look year over year, there's a significant increase from July of last year to July of this year. So what I'd like to ask you guys, and Tim, maybe you can kick us off with this, and then Sam, I'd like to hear your thoughts as well. Clearly the market has given us the wind in our sails, but I'm more interested in what else you guys see beyond market performance that is driving this impressive tear that we're on from a productivity increase standpoint. So, Tim, what do you see going on in your bank, like I said, beyond market performance, that, that is really making a difference in the last year?
0: Yes, Scott, you're right. I mean, we certainly saw a very strong July, and it's kind of a continuation of a solid first quarter, a solid second quarter. And you've mentioned the advisory business and certainly the asset management fees have been very robust. But what we're also seeing and we're really enjoying seeing is kind of a nice balance. And, and what we mean by that is it's not just the advisory side of the business. But remember, most of us also embrace the choice, the choice with the traditional broker-dealer products and some of the protection products. And we've certainly seen that in our institution and in our program where we are having really robust conversations with clients around legacy planning, protection planning, in addition to the asset management side. So certainly some of our production that led to the strong July you referenced was also driven by some really nice business and and a pretty robust pipeline of protection products guaranteed products and some of the structured products that we're seeing out there in our industry today
2: all right so tim i gotta be honest with you you probably know bob mattel pretty well (laughs) i know him really well and as soon as somebody says the word protection he like gets high
6: (laughs) I, i i am i am so pleased by those comments tim Because somehow I was going to weave this into the conversation. I was waiting till later because, as most people know, that's my background. And in addition, September is Life Insurance Awareness Month. So you beat me to the punch there. Really appreciate seeing that legacy planning and protection products is key the original improvement yeah. in numbers.
2: And we've said many times, listen, if you're an advisor and you're helping your clients grow their assets, but not protect their assets, you're only doing half of your job. So Tim, kudos to you. You are an exception to the rule in that regard. As much as Bob and I usually talk passionately about the need to protect clients' assets, we don't see it happening too much out there. So I'd love to hear before we pass it to you, Sam, Tim, I'd love to to hear from you if there are certain strategic initiatives that you put in place to get the protection need focused on or how, how did that happen?
0: Yeah. I mean, what I would say is I'm sure we could do a better job. So I'm not suggesting we've got it all figured out. And Bob, we're happy to bring a smile to your face anytime when we talk protection products. But what we would say is we have been pretty strategically focused on what I would call the financial planning process and the holistic planning. And the way we look at that is if you're doing that correctly and you're asking the right questions and you're engaging with your clients, it's hard not to have that lead to additional dialogue around protection products and planning for the future and certainly legacy planning. So we just think, Scott, it's a combination of asking the right questions, making sure we're listening to what our clients are telling us and what their concerns are, and then trying to find some strategies and solutions to help. So that's where we are with that process.
2: Yeah, no, that's great. And it's great to hear. So you mentioned two things that I just want to emphasize. And then, Sam, I want to pass this question to you. So those two things are, one, you implied that the discovery process is important. I will submit that it is the single most important thing that advisors do. The best advisors in the industry, not just our channel, but in the industry, are They're just rock stars when it comes to an incredibly well thought out discovery process. That's the best way you're going to gather assets and manage the majority of your client's assets by really discovering and understanding their needs. And it's not just discovering their assets and where they are. It's discovering the emotional factors that influence their financial decisions, frankly, right? So that's good. The other thing that you implied, Tim, is that when your advisors are doing financial planning, they're not just doing it. To try and gather additional assets they're also doing it with an assessment of what it takes to protect those assets and most people that use planning we have a lot of clients that use money guide and money guide for example has a good life insurance module it's hardly ever used 10 percent of the time that life insurance module is used which is a sin frankly right so love to hear the stuff that you're doing tim congratulations so sam I want to pass it to you and make one comment before I do. One of the things that we've heard over and over again in some of our podcasts recently, when you look at the advisors out there that have been successful during the pandemic and after the fact, and particularly in being successful in gathering assets, is that they were proactive in reaching out to their clients during the pandemic. And they heard from some of their clients that, Good for you for reaching out because I got to be honest with you, I have another advisor or two, and I haven't heard a peep from them. And you're reaching out to me, and a lot, of, and you know, and they're doing it virtually, frankly, right. So that's one of the difference makers that has been clear to us, just proactively reaching out and not sitting back like a deer in the headlights because we're in a pandemic situation. So I just wanted to put that out there. So, Sam, very interested in getting your input because you have a perspective from a broker dealer standpoint that's servicing a variety of banks and credit unions. So what do you see behind the drivers of this productivity beyond just market performance? So, so Scott, I
1: have to agree with them, certainly insurance products and having that proactive conversation with clients is, it's actually the way I see it, it's a continuum, right? And I go back to what the past year and a half have taught us and taught financial advisors and taught pretty much every company out there. We can still do business virtually. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're seeing is a continuum of those advisors who have taken technology and embraced it and have taken it to the next level, scaled it for better efficiency, better connectivity. And frankly, I think those advisors were able to condition their clients to be serviced that way. Things may change in the future. Of course, we all want that and we all want this face-to-face to be back. Nothing beats being able to sit in front of your client and have a conversation with them. But I believe this technology boom, if you will, has really proven itself to be valuable for those who have embraced it. What I add to that as well, and certainly what I'm hearing also from my financial advisors, there are really still market recovery to be had So those advisors who are building and creating those financial plans for clients, and you all know Ameriprise is built on the idea of financial planning, have been able to uncover assets, have been able to look at market opportunities that are available that are still yet to be had. I don't think the recovery has been fully captured by the market. And I would add, and especially in the last few months, the idea of potentially an infrastructure deal that could be passed and could be in place has really given investors uh, positive market expectations going forward for the next few years. So why not take advantage of that?
2: Well, I agree with everything you said, and I apologize for that tone. So for our listeners, you're going to hear that it's a tornado warning. So if uh, all of a sudden we (laughs) we shut down the podcast, it's because I'm under a tornado warning right now. I have a feeling it's not going to hit because the sun is up, but we'll see. It could make for an interesting podcast. I muted all the tones, but that one you can't mute because it's a, I don't know, government agency tone. Interesting. Again, agree with all the things you said, Sam. It's interesting when we look at the industry overall, there are a percentage of advisors that really understand what you just said and Tim, what you said, and are being very proactive in that regard. But to be honest with you, that percentage is lower than we like to see significantly lower. So one of the reasons why we do these podcasts is just trying to get these success stories out there and do the things that it takes to let our channel know what it's going to take to be more competitive as it relates to all the other channels in the industry, right? Because our biggest competition is not the bank next door or the credit union next door. It's the other channels out there. And we have to get as good as some of those people in the other channels. And that's a pretty tall bar. we can get there because we see advisors doing it. And one of the trends we see in our industry that's really impressive are the second story advisors that are not reliant on brands traffic and are doing true wealth management. So we need to see more of that. So that's great. All right. I've said enough. I need to pass it back to Bob because Bob, you have a question (laughs) queued up, I believe.
6: (laughs) Yes, I do. And this one's also good for those BISA portfolio regular readers. In a recent BISA portfolio article, it was a New York Times article that was uh, cited. It was actually titled, This is a Terrible Time for Savers. And it noted that money savers are currently in a bind and should be prepared to lose some of their money, if not a lot of it, if they don't act. So it's a combination of the high inflation rates, strong economic growth, and low interest rates has really translated to real interest rates being next to nothing after accounting for inflation. So let's start with Sam. Are you seeing any client reaction to this? It's like the article is titled, This is a Terrible Time for Savers. But is this a terrible time for savers?
1: I would tell you, I think clients understand the ramification of not having a sound investment strategy, especially long term. Those clients who choose to stay on the sidelines or maybe try to time the market themselves have suffered adversely by missing positive market performance over time. I think being able to realize meaningful returns in in a client portfolio, it means that that client must have a serious conversation with their financial advisors. Clients must be educated on the importance of having a robust financial plan. We go back to this concept of having a roadmap, right, that outlines short-term goals, mid-term goals, long-term goals, and objectives. And that's the only way they can truly navigate their financial lives successfully, So when we talk about real returns, the way I view it, it's really over time, not necessarily for a particular year or two. The clients, no matter what market conditions are, I think they must have a disciplined investment strategy and follow the advice of their financial advisors.
6: It all goes back to financial planning. So you're seeing more of your financial advisors call their customers back to kind of review their plans? That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Review,
1: having that financial plan in place and really defining what the client is looking to achieve. Again, short, mid, long-term, right? And being able to have a meaningful conversation with the clients or are saying, we have established this plan. We have established this roadmap for a reason. And if we're not disciplined, if we deviate from that plan, We are going over time to not the chances and probability of us really recognizing the objectives that we're looking for, the returns that we're looking for is not going to be to our advantage. So, yes, that is exactly correct, Robert.
6: Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of funny. I think I've shared this story on previous podcasts. I have two financial advisors, one is Wirehouse based, one is bank based. The Wirehouse guy calls me quarterly. The last time I spoke to the bank guy was. I don't remember. Not the right answer. But hopefully I will send him a link to this podcast and he'll get the picture. Tim, your thoughts on this? Can I- is this can I- a terrible time for savers or is it not a terrible time for savers?
0: Well, Bob, first of all, we would call you.
6: <laughs> time to move. I will not name the bank. <laughs>
0: I think Sam is is spot on. I think what we try to do is just stay really disciplined to the process. And interest rate cycles come and go. And while this one seems... The duration of this seems fairly long and it is a difficult time and it's a challenge. So there's no way around that. There's no easy answers to that either. But what we have tried to do is when we have the conversations with the clients and we're listening to the concerns about interest rates and more recently with inflation is what is the purpose of the cash portion or cash equivalent portion of their portfolios? And is there a way to maybe maintain that? Certainly peace of mind is incredibly important. We think now probably more than ever to have that peace of mind, but also what we've seen in certain cases, not all the cases, but it has led to more client engagement, more client wanting to have a conversation about, Hey, what can I do more on the interim term? And potentially, one of the strategies we use, it's an old strategy, we all know it, but sometimes we get away from it, is just dollar cost averaging into some nice balanced portfolios or some nice balanced type managed accounts. So we are looking at that. We're doing a portion, you know, kind of planning around that, a portion of their cash or cash equivalents. And we've actually seen some pretty good traction there. But certainly, we recognize these are tough times for traditional savers, and we don't know when that cycle will end, but we do understand the discipline nature of that. And we actually subscribe to the theory that, hey, for an asset class, it's important to have a portion of your assets in cash and cash equivalents. So we don't back away from that, Bob. But we certainly are, like everybody, we know that this interest rate environment is very
6: difficult on traditional savers. I can't agree more. And I guess part of what, and you probably knew this was coming. But protection products, less, less of an issue with interest rates overall. So insurance reviews probably can also be weaved into that whole financial planning review. And that might be part of what's spiking your insurance growth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it does provide that opportunity. Now, it's not always the answer, but it certainly is part of the conversation. And I think, you know, back to the first conversation around what are we seeing and what's driving some of our new investment flow and new business, I think that's absolutely part of it. We've seen that firsthand here at South State, Bob. So, yes, you're right. You know, the one additional comment we would make is it's been a while since I set for the CFP or the CHFC, but one of the things when you look at these incredibly robust Financial planning designations, there is a, a large portion of the study work and the exams itself that are around protection products, around insurance products. So we try to think through that. And if, if you're really going to be comprehensive in, in the nature of your planning, we don't think you can leave that off. So it does come back to that. Bob, you make a good point. It really does come back to that conversation. But I do think there's a lot of savers right now, and there's obviously a lot of liquidity there's a lot of excess liquidity, and that is a challenge that's probably gonna be with us for the next few
6: quarters. Absolutely, and I think that article brought that to life. My partner, Scott, always talks about your product is your process, and clearly both of you have really determined that financial planning is an important component of both your programs. And just like I was saying before, there's a difference sometimes between the warehouses and the banks, and those banks that rise to the challenge of understanding that financial planning is important, their product is now their process and they are that face to the customer. So with that, time to pass it on to Scott.
2: All right. Thanks. No tornado here yet. I just wanted you guys to know I'm still here. I haven't, it hasn't been the Wizard of Oz thing. <laughs> so a follow-on question about financial planning before we get to our third official question here. And that is, it is relatively well known by the executives running our channel that there needs to be an increase in the amount of financial planning being done. And it sounds like, Tim, you're driving that. Sam, you obviously agree with that. But if you can, just give us a feel and guesstimate this if you need to. Give us a feel, Tim and Sam, and maybe, Tim, you can start for the percentage of your advisors that are doing the amount of planning that they should be doing. And has that grown in the last year or two? Tim, you want to go first with that one? Or Sam. Sam, go ahead. <laughs> I see you yes, up. yes, absolutely. So
1: I will tell you, again, you heard me say Ameriprise Financial is really built on the idea of financial planning. It's something that we really talk about, I feel like, every single day, right? Within my region, and I have the western half of the U.S., I would say, if I have to guess, 50% of my advisors are really have adopted financial planning religiously and we are still working on the other 50% to adopt financial planning consistently. In other words, they believe there's always the outliers and the few, right? But what we're trying to do specifically for those clients with account balances of at least 100000 or more to have that the basis of really the start of the service model, the basis of the value add that a financial advisor would add to a client, right? So I will say, to me, it is a daily conversation. And it is also a daily conversation driven by
2: Ameriprise leadership from top to bottom. Yeah, good for you guys. You're you're ahead of the curve. Because if you look at The channel overall, we're not near 50% of the advisors doing planning as a regular part of their business. I would guess the percentage is around 20%. Janet Cappelletti, who does all of our research, is listening in as we're recording this. And so just a thought, Janet, we may want to do a survey. We've done them in the past just to get a feel for what percentage of the advisors in our channel are doing planning and, and how that's grown Tim, my guess is, I want to have you answer the same question. My guess is that you've seen over the last, I don't know, three years, a fairly impressive increase in the number of advisors doing planning, or is that the case? Or has your institution just been planning-centric for a long time?
0: No, we actually have seen an increase. Our adoption rate like many of our colleagues and peer institutions, is not where it needs to be. But it's a lot better than it was, to your point. We've definitely seen an increase in planning. But, but the other thing I would say is it's how you define planning. I mean, are we talking about a full, comprehensive, in-depth financial plan? I think that number is fairly low across the board. But what we have seen a, a tremendous uptick in, and we're encouraged by this, is what we call modular planning or goals-based planning, where you really ask specific questions, you document the answers to those questions, and you kind of use that as a roadmap. And we've embedded that in our 21 business planning. We have done that over the last couple of years, and we think that's how we've been able to move the needle around what we would call goal-based financial plans. The other thing that's really difficult, I think, in the bank programs across the country really is it's hard to have it's hard to scale full financial planning. Right. So what we think is this is a nice way And a lot of the TPMs and broker dealers have, you know, obviously e-money. MoneyGuide Pro, but then a lot of them, certainly the third-party marketing group that we use, LPL, has spent a lot of energy and resources around goals-based planning, and we've embraced that. And I think that captures a lot of the work we need to be doing for our clients.
2: Yeah, I completely count a goals-based plan as financial planning, and there are a number of reasons for that. But the biggest reason is that planning is so far from a one-and-done thing right? If you generate a comprehensive financial plan, that thing it has a, a life, right? You can't, you have to be agile with it. You can't just say, yep, hey, you got a plan and that's what we're sticking with. No, you need to revisit it. You need to modify it and tweak it. And different things happen in clients' lives that are going to influence the goals of that plan, et cetera, right? So where do you start? Well, you start with a goal. And as long as you don't leave it there, as long as you use that as a starting point and then use the plan in an evolutionary process, as the basis for how you're working with the client because it's a journey. Planning is a journey and your work with the client is a journey. So absolutely, as long as you launch whatever financial planning software app you use and put something in there as a starting point, you're good, you're using planning, right? So it doesn't, doesn't matter if it's a module or a comprehensive, as long as you're using it, that's the point of the whole thing. So, all right, let me ask you another question and I have a feeling planning is going to be part of the answer. It's a little bit of an involved question, so bear with me while I lay it out. But I want to leverage the number of years you guys have been in the industry. So Tim, if I'm not mistaken, you've been with South State for like 26 years. Sam, you've been in a broker-dealer role, supporting bank and credit union programs for about 20 years. So you know, you gain insights over all that time. I implied before that our competition isn't necessarily the bank next door, right, or the credit union next door. It's the broader industry. It's the the RIAs, the independents, the national brokerage organizations. And I'll posit that there are a few steps ahead of us in a number of regards, right? So to a degree, we're always learning from them. But if you're competitive, you want to know where the puck is going. And if you analyze what they're doing, you can kind of see where the puck is going because you can see what's working in the other channels and then you adapt it to our channel, So just give me your impression, and Tim, maybe you can start here, but give me your thoughts on what we need to do to stay competitive with the other channels. How can we not, you know, looking five years down the road, how can we not be a few steps behind them, but right up with them, if not more competitive in some cases by leveraging the unique aspects of our channel? Because if you think of our channel and all the services that a bank or a credit union can bring to the table there should be a lot of stuff we can leverage. And I'll just make a side point. I mean, the average penetration of investment accounts into households of banks is about 4%, which is really awful. It's God awful. It just means we're not working well together. So there's so much opportunity there. The tendency is for our clients as they get wealthier to not keep their assets in our institutions. And we need to reverse that, right? And we need to work hard to reverse that. So Give me your thoughts on how to do that, how to be more competitive, how to keep assets as our clients grow their wealth in our institutions. What do we have to do to really turn that corner and make a difference as you kind of get that vision of where we should be five years from now, let's say? I know that was a long question, Tim, but maybe <laughs> maybe you can do a better job with your answer than I did with the question. <laughs> well, we'll take a shot at it. How about that? Okay. <laughs>
0: You know, I think we have to, first of all, let me just say this. Personally, feel very fortunate to be part of the bank that I'm part of and have been part of for two and a half decades. Why do we say that? Because the culture of our bank, the core values of our bank, kind of the principles that we're based on and founded on continue. So one of the reasons that I think we will continue to be very relevant in this space and be competitive with any of our competitors is because the culture. And if you have the right culture, you keep the uh, seasoned and experienced and successful financial advisors in the seat. And if you do that, studies have shown time and time again that clients enjoy working with the advisors. That's a very strong relationship. And so if we create an environment where our advisors want to stay, we know good things happen. So that's first and foremost secondly i think we have to embrace the technology that's out there we have to embrace the digital technology and we've done that but what we have seen and and how do we know this we've asked our clients what we have seen is clients still value and we think will continue to value locally based advice and guidance locally based advice and guidance so when you couple the power of technology, the digital leveraging the data that we have at the bank with strong, locally based, community based financial advisors, we are encouraged, Scott. We're not, how would I say it, we, we are actually very encouraged by what we see going forward as a bank-based financial advisor group. So I hope that helps answer your question maybe. The other thing I would say is you bring up a really, really good point. When you look at household penetration, you look at how many households are in the bank but actually don't have a relationship with wealth, that's a tremendous opportunity for us. Now we have to execute on that opportunity. And it's up to us to do things that help reach out to those clients that may not even realize that we have these products and services and advisors in the markets that they live in and they work in. So we have embarked, I'll give you an example really quickly. We've embarked with our mortgage team and our mortgage colleagues, because think about how strong the housing market has been, how strong the mortgage business has been. So many of those households That we're working with on the mortgage side we're not working with on the wealth side or the investment services side so we just think that's a tremendous opportunity for us if we can execute around letting them know hey you can do that business right here you do not have to go to a competitor to have that opportunity so that's what we're focused on and we feel really good about it actually
2: So, there are a lot of things you said that make a lot of sense, and that local presence is a big deal, especially if you start developing niches within that local presence, right? And specialties. But the other thing you said that I think is very relevant are the relationships with people like mortgage officers, right? So, if we think of the fact that our wealth program is embedded in a bank. And if you think holistically about all the services that the bank can bring to bear for clients, and if the different centers of influence in your bank are working effectively as a team with clients, especially the clients that have more of a need and more assets, just think of that spectrum of services you can provide that an independent can't, that an RIA can't, right? There's so many other services. So if we can develop a real team spirit within the bank where the loan officers, the business bankers, etc., trust the advisors and vice versa, and there's cross-departmental business flow and the appropriate people in the organization are having regular client review meetings where everybody brings three clients to the meeting and maybe it's a team of five people and they review where they are with the client and what other things can we do for that client? And, oh, well, we can do this Is he, you know, does this client have an investment for pro- do they have or, or i think they're looking to buy a second home uh, you know do they need another more right and then you should start brainstorming how you can service the clients and then that beauty happens where you get that synchronicity and that flow between departments and then you're bringing the advantages that a bank has to bear to beat the other channels i think that's a big part of it right so so that's good stuff. Sam, let me, let me pass it to you for your thoughts on that same long, twisted question. <laughs> so
1: certainly I do agree with you, Scott, and certainly I do agree with Tim. My answer really is along the lines of what has been said. I think financial institutions really are uniquely positioned to offer clients a way to simplify their lives. And one word can sum it up, consolidation, Right. So I really believe, and myself included, I want less statements from different institutions, different firms. I want less passwords, right? For less websites to log into, right? And as a financial institution, really, they're able to help deliver to the client a holistic service, a holistic solution when it comes to their banking needs and investment needs. After all, it is a relationship business, right? And if the financial institution is able to capture that client under their roof and really service them from every aspect possible, you spoke, Scott, about having a team, right? Meeting with one client and bringing a financial advisor, maybe a trust officer, a private banker, a loan officer, whatever the case may be, and presenting that team as one holistic solution to help serve that client for whatever needs they may have. Now, I'm going to add this as well. It's not enough to do that. I think financial advisors within the financial institution must really provide a high caliber, highly competitive business model approach to really compete with those big firms out there, because that's where they say, we shine. No, you want to invest with us and our New York office. I'm not saying anything adverse about that, but do you want to invest in a, you know, and have a relationship in the bank branch somewhere, right? I think financial advisors more than ever are able, going back to basics, provide that financial plan provide that comprehensive approach, whether especially for higher net worth clients, where they can involve an attorney or an estate planning attorney, a CPA, and being able to incorporate that, whether it's a goal-based plan or really a comprehensive plan, they need to demonstrate their value at in a very decisive, convincing way. And they need to sit in front of their clients and demonstrate their business model, the things they do, the services they provide, and what the client should expect of them under that bank roof, right? And what the client expectations are as well to their advisor and to their own financial plan. I think if you marry the two, I think if you also get that investment arm within a financial institution to, to work cohesively in collaboration in cooperation with the other arms at the financial institution, that has a tangible value that no other competitor really can provide. And I may add one more note. I think a financial institution is uniquely positioned really for clients, but also for other financial advisors. I've seen, I've worked on deals in the past where independent advisors who may be looking to let go of not wanting to be really managing a business, but managing their book of business, being in a financial institution is a very attractive proposition for them. I know that's not what we're talking about, but I wanted to inject that comment because I really think the financial institution space has really a leg up if they use it the right way over competitors.
6: And what you just said, I should have to jump in here. Use it the right way. I mentioned earlier, I have two advisors. One is bank-based. In that bank... I have my personal accounts, my business accounts, my kids' accounts, my loans, and some of my investments. And he knows I have a relationship somewhere else, but he doesn't call. You guys are spot on. Tim, I'd have to move over to South State because it is frustrating hearing you guys. And trust me, my bank advisor is going to get a link to this podcast, Um, but I'm calling him out (laughs) because you guys have definitely proven that... He's got the share of wallet. He could have so much more, not asking the questions. Yeah. So all of our listeners take note.
2: Yeah, good comment. So I'll reinforce two of the things that were just said and then we're gonna wrap it up. One is um one of the things that you implied in your response is that the client experience matters, right? And so and the client experience is getting more and more critical because if you really think about it, the client experience is the only way that an advisor can differentiate themselves pretty much right Right. that and when you think about the client experience it's what their clients experience as they go through the process of working with them all right so process is the other piece of that and it goes back to what bob said right so the process is the only product that advisors have because The investment products and advisory accounts they sell are not their products, they're somebody else's. So it's the process by which they work with their clients, and that is the only value add that they have. And I would submit that most advisors haven't spent enough time thinking about that process to make sure it is as professional, as impressive, and as special as it needs to be to differentiate themselves and really... Amplify their value proposition. So that's a big deal. The other thing that was said or implied is recruiting and our ability, when I say our, our channel's ability to recruit good advisors. I think we haven't done a good enough job defining the value proposition of working within our financial institution to potential advisors, but it can't just be words. It has to be followed on with actions, right? So if one of the best benefits of working in a bank or a credit union is that you have access to all these clients in the institution and you can develop relationships with loan officers and business bankers and everything else. Then an advisor gets there and none of those other executives in the bank trust the advisors. Well, that's just not going to work, right? So you have to have that in place first, and then it becomes a really good recruiting tool. Anyway, so I think we've covered enough ground. Were there any other thoughts or comments that either of you had before we bring this to a close? We're good, All Thank right. you for having us. Good, thank you for having us. Yeah, well, hey, before I pass it back to Bob for closing comments, I wanted to thank both of you. Appreciate your insights. I, for one, I'm glad I'm still here and haven't been blown away by a tornado. The sun is back out, so I think I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Bob, let me pass it back to you for closing comments. Thanks again, you guys.
6: Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Thanks again to our, our participants today, Sam and Tim. And thanks to the BISA for their partnership with this podcast series. Jeff Hartney, Pat Seifert, and Katie Stokes, thank you. Thanks to Janet Cappelletti for all the work on our research. Thanks to Ameriprise as well for their sponsorship. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other series as well, wherever you get your other podcasts. And finally, don't forget to register for the BISA Regulatory and Compliance Conference live and in person in Washington DC in November. Finally, finally, thank you all for listening. We hope you listen in again next month, which is Life Insurance Awareness Month. Thanks,
2: guys. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Take care, care, everyone.
3: Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling FinTech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.